Welcome to the Monday Morning Message, a podcast of Grace Community Church in Delaware. My name is Paul Shirley. I'm the pastor of Grace Church. And on the Monday Morning Message, we deal with biblical implications and life issues that maybe we didn't have the opportunity to address on Sunday morning. And this week, again, I have with me Jared Cooper, one of the elders at Grace Church, as he's joining our conversation to help us think through some of these biblical issues. So thanks for being with us again, Jared. Good to be with you, brother. Uh, one of the things I wanted to get together with you uh, today to talk about a little bit is, you know, we're we're looking forward to an election. Obviously, our country's been in the midst of turmoil with a pandemic and everything else that's going on around us. And as believers, how do we think through what's going on in the world around us in light of these things? So maybe you could speak to that a little bit. One of the things that we have to recognize uh, with all that's going on around us is just just understanding the events of our day from a biblical perspective. Uh, what we're seeing is clearly a withdrawal of God's grace from our culture. Uh, we've never had a perfect country. We've never had a perfect culture. But in our past and in our country's history, uh, there have been certain elements of our government and culture and family life that were based on biblical ethics, biblical principles. And we have clearly deviated a long way from that as time has gone on. And one of the things that we're seeing now is a removal of the common grace that God has been showing upon our culture in our own day. And I think the clearest way in which we can see the Lord removing this common grace from our culture is in the way that God is removing restraints against sin. One of the kindest things that the Lord can do for an unbeliever is to restrain sin in that individual's life. And one of the kindest things that the Lord can do for a culture or a nation or a country is to restrain sin in that culture. And one of the things that Romans 1 makes clear is that as a nation or a people or a culture comes under God's judgment, the Lord meets out that judgment in the form of removing restraining graces from the culture. And we see that in our own day. There are a number of examples that we could point to, but all of them come back with the same conclusion that uh, what was impeding the progress of depravity in our culture in previous decades and generations is quickly evaporating in our own day. And just some of the areas where you see that clearly, uh, that there are uh, really four influences that the Lord has ordained to restrain sin in this world. Uh, one of them is our conscience. God has given us all a conscience uh, that is intended to restrain sin in our life. An informed conscience responds to sin and recoils at it. Of course, a defiled conscience uh, is no longer informed by the truth and no longer recoils at sin. And I think collectively, we could say that our culture has a defiled conscience. I mean, I was just reading this week some of the statistics on abortion in our country, and it is staggering, absolutely staggering, the number of babies that are murdered every year in our country. And these are just the ones that are recorded. Who knows 
how many are done off the books. And it's something like, you know, every hour in our country, 96 babies are killed, something like that. That's staggering. I read also, uh, according to the most recent Census Bureau information, there's something like 500,000 same-sex marriages in our country right now with another close to half million same-sex partners who live together. So you've got uh, about a million homes uh, that are formed in a way that the Lord would say is sinful. Uh, And then you have millions of children who are growing up in that context. And our collective cultural conscience not only sees that happening and doesn't do anything, but heartily approves of it in Romans 1 style. So the, the conscience of our nation has been totally defiled, and it's no longer impeding sin the way that it should. Another influence that the Lord has given to sinful human beings to restrain sin is the family. God ordained family life to help prevent us from sinning more. And of course, I already mentioned some of these um, ways in which our culture has defiled family life, but you can see it all over the place. Uh, Parents aren't leading children. Children aren't obeying their parents. The way the family is supposed to be ordered is not being followed in our country. Uh, You have the majority of families where uh, neither parent is engaged in much parenting. They're both fully engaged in the pursuit of worldly uh, attainment and uh, worldly Uh, possessions, so much so that their children are not shepherded in the way that they should be. Children are disrespectful of their parents. Uh, These things are normalized. And if if you don't believe that, just just watch five minutes of any sitcom on TV, which, by the way, that's probably about as much as you can watch as a Christian anymore without having to turn the TV off. But family life is not a restraint to sin in the way that it used to be. I mean, even in unbelieving families, in previous generations, if, if you got out of line, your parents would get you back into line. I mean, I know, and Jared, you and I both grew up with fathers that would make sure that that if, if you were getting out of line, they would they would make you tow the line or they would tow you to the line. 100%. Right. That's uncommon now. Another restraining grace the Lord gives to a culture is the government. Now, we we joke and mock and, and, and uh, kind of scoff at the idea of government because of how poor uh, the government does so many things. Uh, and, and for good reason, we should, we should call out those not only inefficiencies, but that corruption that is so common in the leadership of our country. I mean, it's, it, it is a common thing for a politician to, to start their career as a politician, you know, basically as a, as a you know, just middle-class American. And then by the time they're done as a politician, they're millionaires somehow. They're millionaires somehow. And that's just like, yeah, that's the deal. That's, that's everybody knows what's going on. And that's okay. That, you know, uh, th- there's so much corruption that, of course, there's scoffing at that corruption. But let's not forget that government should be a means of grace. It should be a restraining grace. Romans 13, that the civil authority has been given to protect those who are doing what's right and punish those who are doing what's evil. But but our government can't recognize good from evil anymore. Not, not hardly. That restraining grace has been severely weakened 
And then the last restraining grace that the Lord's given to a culture, that the individual conscience, family life, government, and then the church. The church really should be the collective conscience of a culture. But the church in our age is it's so weak and watered down. There have been so many false professions, uh, so much false assurance out there. Uh, there, there, there is no theology uh, for people to stand on in difficult times. Uh, what you see is people abandoning churches in droves in the midst of this pandemic, or people whose theology in church life is so weak that they think that a live stream is the same thing as participating in the body life of the church. Uh, uh, the, the, the weakness of the church, you, you, it's, it's as evident as the other factors that I mentioned Back to your question, what's going on? Well, the reason why all those things are so weak is is, is part of the Lord handing our culture over to sin. Um, that doesn't really get to the question of how we should respond, but at least gives us an idea of what's going on. Yeah, I mean, you paint a pretty bleak picture. I mean, if we look around, you know, and we see all these things, I mean, obviously we're not blind. We live in this culture. You know, as believers, you know, we see the erosion of the conscience. We see consciences being seared. Uh, the importance of the family, yeah, it doesn't exist anymore. Uh, weakness in leadership, and especially in the church as well, we see that. So, okay, as a believer, what am I what am I praying for? What am I doing? I mean, that's what I'm thinking. Look, I, I got to pray, right? I got to pray and ask the Lord for help in this. I got to ask the Lord for wisdom. Am I praying for revival for our country? Am I praying, praying Lord, come back, come get us? Uh, what does that look like? What's my prayer life look like in the midst of these things? Yeah, I, I'm. I think prayer is our first line of defense. You know, if if um, I love John Piper's illustration that um, he kind of views the Christian life in this illustration as as having a wartime mentality. You know, we're not in the kingdom yet. We're 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 in a foxhole, waiting on the kingdom to fully arrive. And prayer is like our radio back to home base to call in reinforcements. You know, the, the prayer is how you call in the air attack. And so prayer should be our first line of defense as we see all that's going on. What do we pray for? Well, I think we need to start by praying for our own personal faithfulness. You know, there's a lot of how do you respond to this? How do you respond to this? How do you vote? How do you do this? How do you engage the culture? Well, if, if you are trying to be as Christ-like as you can and faithful as you can in your life, a lot of the specifics are going to work themselves out uh, in the context of your own situation. So you need to pray that the Lord would keep you faithful and your family faithful and your church faithful so you don't get caught up in the midst of this cultural insanity. Uh, so, so pray for that kind of faithfulness. Uh, I would also pray, ask the Lord for mercy specifically in the form of restraining grace, uh, that, that the Lord would restrain sin. Uh, now, one of the things that we have to understand is sometimes the Lord allows the utter downfall of an entire culture to, re to restrain sin. Uh, the first society that was judged for sin was Adam and Eve in the garden. They were kicked out of the garden, and that was essentially a restraint from that sin being perpetual in the Garden of Eden. Um, another example of God restraining sin uh, for the betterment of mankind was the flood. God, uh, God sent the flood and judged all mankind to put a stop to the proliferation of sin that was taking place. 
Another cultural judgment that you see is uh, the Tower of Babel. The Lord confused the languages. He, he made life a lot harder for people. He, he put an end to that civilization that was rising up. Why? To prevent the, the expansion of a sinful mentality. Uh, the destruction of Jerusalem in Lamentations chapter 2. We've talked about it on Sunday morning a little bit in our church. But uh, these are examples of, of the Lord restraining sin. Uh, I, I might pray, or I am praying, that the Lord would more gently restrain sin than some of the examples I just gave. But I'm praying, Lord, do not remove all the restraining graces in our culture. Um, pray also for the protection of the church. If the church is a means of grace to um, restrain sin in a culture, then pray that the church will be strengthened. Uh, the church has some hard times coming. I mean, if, uh, you know, you're seeing it going on right now, not only in our country, uh, the Constitution guarantees that the church should not be treated the same as any other business. Actually, we have more rights that the, the government has no right, according to the Constitution, to do anything that would hinder our free expression of worship. And that's not defined. So so we as elders in the church get to define what that expression of worship is. And the government has no right to hinder that. But that's not been followed. That's been totally ignored. So the church has some hard decisions and hard days ahead. Pray for that. And then pray that the Lord would save souls. Um, one, of the, one of the reasons why the Lord allows things to get bad is it's actually a grace that will wake sinners up to the reality of what's going on. And I think we're seeing that even with this pandemic. The pandemic is not good. Uh, people getting sick, not good. People dying, not good. What, whatever your view of the severity of the pandemic is, let's all just agree. It's not good. Okay. On some level, it's not good. Maybe it's not as bad as some people think. Maybe it's not uh, as nothing as other people think, but we can all agree it's not good. But at the same time, there are a lot of people who have been forced to think about their own mortality. And it's driven them either back to church or it's driven them to consider the gospel. And so uh, it's, the Lord's heart is that sinners would be saved. And we need to pray in that direction. And, and by the way, we need, to, we need to work in that direction as well. I, I wish believers were as uh, bold and, uh, and would voice their opinions about the gospel as much as they are politics in this current season. Well, I mean, even as we... Think about politics, you know, maybe I'll, I'll close us with this last question. You might like it or not. We'll see how, see how this goes. <laughs> but as people think about, you know, they're going to have to place a vote. You know, they're going to have to choose a candidate. Um, and from what you're saying right now, I mean, both of our choices are, are not the greatest. But we also know that the president isn't necessarily the, uh, the pinnacle of spiritual <laughs> maturity, right? Yep. So how do we as believers think about that, even as we cast our vote? You know, we obviously know that the Lord's in control of, of who gets in uh, and who's going to be our president. But as believers, you know, how do we think through party lines and all the political stuff, all the lies we hear on TV and even in the debates? And uh, we see all this stuff going on. You know, what, what should we be thinking when we cast that vote? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think there's some biblical principles that we need to have in the forefront of our mind. Now, obviously, uh, I'm not asking you for your candidate. You know? Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, 
from a from a biblical standpoint, the, the some of the principles we need to keep in mind is one, our loyalty is to Christ first and foremost. So if if you have a candidate that you prefer over the other, uh, that's fine, but but that never takes a place of your loyalty to Christ. Which means if if you got to call out sin in your candidate, then just do it. Don't like the world around us. They know that their candidates are flawed. Both both candidates are flawed. Everybody knows that, but nobody will admit it. On one side, you, oh it's, no, it's just the other guy's flawed. On the other side, no, it's just the other guy. No, no. Let's be honest. They're both flawed. And if you in your heart are ready to argue with me right now about that, it watch where your loyalty is. Because both of those candidates are going to stand before Christ and they're going to have to answer for the entirety of their life. And if you as a believer right now can't say, yeah, that's not honoring to Christ, this aspect of the candidate's character or record or life or views, if you can't be honest about that now, that's that's not good. So, so ultimately, our loyalty is with Christ. Uh, also, another principle to keep in mind is our hope is heaven. That at best, here's what this election can do. It can slow down the uh, downward spiral, spiral into sin. At best, this could be a speed bump. I mean, culturally, that there's just so much ingrained in our culture that is sinful and unhelpful that this election's not going to change the trajectory of, of how families are thought of in our country. It can be a speed bump and slow things down, uh, but that's a pretty modest gain. So don't, you know, I, I'm old enough to remember when they said every single election I've ever voted in was the most important one. I've never, I've never voted for president where, where the news didn't say this is the election of your lifetime. It's amazing. It keeps getting more and more. At some point we just need to recognize. It's only the, four years guys. Right. I mean, at some point we need to recognize we're being manipulated. That being said, this one does feel pretty weighty, doesn't it? I mean, there are things going on culturally that are scary. Uh, I think since the Supreme court's decision on gay marriage, our culture has made as swift a shift away from Judeo-Christian ethics as any culture in the history of the world ever has. And what we see right now is uh, the, the dam is about to break. And um, if we can hold that off a little bit longer and create some cover fire for the church to prepare, great. Uh, but, but ultimately, our hope's in heaven. Our, our hope is in heaven. And, and we need to make sure that, that whatever happens on election day, that the day after, our hope has not changed one bit. Our hope has not changed one bit. So we need to make sure that our hope is in heaven, not in earthly elections. God's sovereign over all these things. So I'm totally content to cast my vote, come home, eat dinner with my family, and enjoy the rest of the evening knowing that the whole thing is in God's hands. And he's sovereign over it. So, so our, that's where our hope is. And then in terms of actually how do you pick what you're going to vote for? Well, the scriptures are clear that you cannot violate your conscience. So, so if you're doing something that you think is evil, you, you should not do that thing. Because if you do it thinking it's evil, then you don't care about right or wrong. So don't violate your conscience. However, 
That doesn't mean you shouldn't inform your conscience. You say, well, how do you inform your conscience about how to vote? Well, I, I think the the best way to do it is to go back to Scripture and inform your conscience on what the purpose of government is. Ideally, those who are leading us from a cultural, governmental standpoint are men of high character who love the Lord and value the Scriptures and are willing to go to bat and fight for a biblical worldview. Newsflash, we don't have that. We don't have that. So I got to go back and look. Romans 13, what's the purpose of government? Well, the purpose of the government is, uh, just to summarize Romans 13, it is to protect those who are innocent in terms of they're not involved in, in some kind of crime, and it's to punish those who are wicked. So that's in part where I'm going to start with my evaluation of the candidates. Who, who has demonstrated by their policies and, and by what they will endorse that they are best positioned to be able to uh, enforce the law, to punish those who break the law, and to protect those who do not break the law. Um, the, that's the kind of thing that I'm thinking through. And I'm also trying to recognize that uh, you know, presidential elections have, have taken a form that I don't think our founders ever intended. Because you're not just voting for a president anymore. You're voting for a massive bureaucracy. You're voting, voting for a, a, a massive administrative administration. And here's the thing. Our, our, our framers would, would be turning over in their graves if that was possible. It's not. But if it was, they'd be turning over in their graves. Because when you vote for president, you're voting for basically an entire cultural worldview. And there, there is a scary worldview that is encroaching upon our country right now. Uh, it, it's a form of neo-paganism uh, that, that basically denies that there's a God, elevates all of creation to the status of God, and worships and serves the creation rather than serving God. It's Romans 1. And we see it all over the place. We see the worship of the human body. We see the worship of human feelings. We see the worship of the creation. And a lot of, um, frankly, the climate nonsense that's going on. Uh, You've got uh, gay marriage is a Romans 1 issue. Abortion is a Romans 1 issue. Um, You know, these are areas where you can see this dangerous and dark worldview encroaching upon our country. And, And so... All of these are factors that that I, as a citizen, am taking into consideration as I cast my vote. And I would love to be able to vote for a moral compass for our country, but we don't have that. Um, Our country basically doesn't have any morality left. And so I'm going to Romans 13. I'm looking at the worldview, and, and I'm trying to make the wisest decision I can. And, and here's the thing, you, you have to inform your conscience on that. And then when you go in there, you vote and you do what you believe would be most pleasing to the Lord. Because ultimately, it's not a salvation issue who you vote for. It's a wisdom issue. I've heard believers say, I don't know how you could be a Christian and vote for so-and-so. Really, I've been around a lot of Christians who do dumb things. So, you can, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to base your salvation on 
what you do. You can make an unwise decision in there, but that doesn't that doesn't mean you're not a believer. That doesn't mean you've necessarily compromised if you're trying to be faithful and please the Lord and inform your conscience. And that's the thing. I think too many people, too many Christian people, have a conscience that is informed by the news media and what they read online and on Facebook, rather than having a conscience that is informed by Scripture. And I'll just tell you, that's not going to help anybody, whether it's a church, whether it's you as an individual, it's certainly not going to help our culture. We need to be a people who stand out because our convictions are formed by God's word, not by the opinions of man.